Welcome to another episode of One of One. I'm here today with the lovely Andrew Rossow. How are you today? I'm doing well, Jeremy. Thank you for having me. How are you? I'm good. Thank you. For those who've been saying Rosso, it's actually Rossow. <laughs> that works. So let's start off with you telling us about you a little bit more. So where are you from? I grew up in Dallas. I live in Austin and in Tampa, Florida with my wife. So having that hybrid living has been, been a blessing. And I mean, you've always had an impressive background and a unique background. I feel like we've we actually um, connected through that because a lot of people still don't know what the fuck we do for a living because we do so many different things. And that was one of our, you know, one of our um, our bonds we first started talking. But how did you get involved with Hypebeast and Web3? Sure. So, you know, having followed Hypebeast for as long as I can remember, it's been a brand that's been accessible and, and easy to digest and understand. But my background uh, in media, which was an accident, started back in 2016, where my passion for educating people on the intersection law and technology has on, on every one of us led me down that road of, of being more immersed in the world of journalism. And over the years, I've spent a lot of time writing for, for various outlets, the Forbes, the Bloombergs, um, you know, the, the Today Shows. And um, I, I came across Hypebeast as a potential, you know, opportunity to, to really bridge that gap for this one project and, and what they were doing in the Web3 space and ended up getting connected to, to somebody on the Hypebeast team. And in a completely separate capacity, they asked if there would be any interest in, in writing. And um, it's just been wonderful. And uh, it's an art. Do you see any similarities with writing or is it really just like your creative brain to your more, um, you know, not scientific, but your more like specific, highly linear brain uh, kicks in or do you, do you see them both as one? I think there's definitely a synergy. It's a, it's a great question because when you think of, of journalism, there's so many components that, that go into the pieces that we see and read every day. But from a legal standpoint, there's still that ethical obligation. There's still that diligence and, and the duty to provide accurate information, but also presenting and knowing how to present subjects and stories in the right lens. If you know something to be true, then how do you present that in a way that, that communicates just that versus something that you feel could be true, but may, may not yet be factual, right? So understanding how to leverage an opinion versus facts, but not creating that overall bias, I think as a lawyer helps guide that editorial process in a, in a more clear manner than unfortunately what we've seen over the years. So absolutely. No, that, that's really interesting. Um, IP is something that, or intellectual property is something that is very, very important in the aspect of Web3 and NFTs. Um, there are laws to protect the rights of creators and other works, but do you have any advice in general or any thoughts on how IP um, is going to evolve in the NFT space? So IP is, is here to stay. For anyone who doesn't think that the copyright and trademark laws and even patent laws that we have had to date are no longer relevant, you're wrong. But they do need to be tailored, adapted, adjusted. And that is an everyday learning process of projects and, and the people behind them making mistakes, screwing up, sometimes to their own detriment, which we never want to see. But it's going to have to happen. Why? Because the laws that are in place right now, specifically trademarks, 
They are established. They do work. They are not changing. What changes is how those laws are applied on a case-by-case basis to these projects. What elements can we take and and, uh, apply them to? What elements kind of fit, but we may need extra guidance or newer guidance on? And they're going to adapt. Obviously, that's the thing, right? They're going to adapt because they're going to be use cases that are made out of some of these people and laws that are going to be created around some of these things because it's it's a new world, right? Are you do you want to be a part of molding what the future of law looks like when it comes to to this industry? Absolutely. You know, on a, on a personal level, uh, I one hundred percent want to continue immersing myself and and absorbing as much information as possible that only adds to the level of of competence and zealousness that I'm able to extend uh, to to clients on a professional level. It just has to be that way, right? Uh, as, as a attorney who still has that active license, who still practices, you have to stay up to date. You have to educate yourself. Whether or not you like it or not, you're going to have a client or prospective client that comes up to you and says, hey, I need you to help me draft a contract around you know, a, new, a new exchange or new protocol that our, our exchange is looking at, draft it up. If you don't know the lingo, you don't know the terminology, you don't know the state of where the industry is with respect to what the ask is by the client, you're automatically setting yourself up for malpractice, but also putting your client in a position where they already have that trust or are trusting you for the first time to be able to do something that you should be able to do. Lawyers have to be at the forefront to be able to know where those boundaries are. And if boundaries are prematurely set, how can they be pushed? to to their limit based on where we are now so it's a necessity we all need each other i feel like for you web3 is is a dream because it's a it's a new sandbox right because you get to do so many different things what what's what's your what was your specialty uh legal wise i mean even before web3 says what were you doing in terms of from, from an attorney's perspective yeah I've, I've been practicing for five years now um about three of those years, three of these years, I've been doing criminal defense, primarily the opioid epidemic out in uh, the Midwest. So Ohio, for example, uh, is one of the opioid capitals of the U.S. So representing clients, getting them out of jail, but into the proper programs, treatment facilities, and and making sure that they have the resources and, and support system that they need. So from criminal defense, I took my passion for that, that tech, the cybersecurity, and said, how can I learn and help as many people as I can from the dangers that tech brings? So the cybersecurity, the cyberbullying, the revenge porn, how does law and tech intersect, but in a cyber kind of mechanism? And that's where I've been is focusing on this internet law and what that means. It's interesting because internet law is something that is really uh, with nfts is resurfacing i mean even like they have that documentary on is anyone up that was that i just watched and it's something that's really resurfacing right now um do you think from a legal perspective that there's going to be any issues or aftermath or anything with the merge at all do you think that's going to lead to anything in particular there's always going to be some sort of hiccup whether large or small because it's we're pushing the bounds again right we're pushing technology that we have started to place our trust in and recognizing, okay, maybe this is the next step to get us to that next phase of where we want to be. 
So I think the merge is good. I think the merge is the next step. How it happens, what happens from it, we won't know till we know. But I think it it would be unrealistic to say that nothing bad will come from it or there, there wouldn't be any hiccups. Um, I think seeing those hiccups now rather than later is going to be more valuable than anything. Why? Because if we use this this window of when this transition is complete. And even then that's only, you know, I think Buterin said that's only going to be 50% or 55% of the entire process. That 55% is still going to be very helpful in, in providing the insight we need of where do we need to strengthen ourselves? What vulnerabilities do we have right now from when this merge happens? If there are issues, what are they? How are they being experienced by, by consumers and users everywhere? And how can we debug them? as soon as can be, because we don't want to move too fast. This is a huge, huge milestone right now. I think this is going to be good for the developers to kind of come in and see where, where things are at right then and there. And it's going to take you and me and the community that, that wants to see this happen. We need to be able to speak out on what we like about it, what we don't like, what's happening to us versus what should be happening. And I think that's valuable information that that's going to feed into what happens next. You know, we talk about decentralization, right? You know, obviously Ethereum is decentralized, right? All of a sudden, these feelings of centralization to a certain extent where greater power company or whatever you want to call it that is able to move this entire ecosystem over to something else, every single NFT is going to appear twice because it's going to be on the current uh, Ethereum blockchain and a new one, right? So seeing things like that makes you realize how even to this extent, which further reinforces my theory about Web 2.5, that ultimately there's always some sort of ability to control the entire ecosystem. Centralization is needed. And yes. I, you, you've, you and I have talked about this before. We cannot move forward by ourselves. To get to the level of decentralization that we all want, it requires an element of centralization. It requires those players long before us that have developed successfully the infrastructures to help facilitate and carry us forward. The difference is there needs to be a harmony between when a Web 2 or a legacy player is coming in and the role that they are playing. If it is just an alternative revenue stream for, for that player, that's not helpful to the overall growth. What is helpful is how they are able to leverage their resources, the management, the agency, the talent, the, the wallet to help give rise to whatever this new innovation or drive is. And both can and should be able to coexist together. So, you know, what's, what's awesome about Web3, in my opinion, is, you know, there's so much talent out there. there you know, I'm, I'm talking to amazing groups that are like, hey, the smart contract um, process can now be automated and we're here to help you. Like different tools being created for people to create designs to be able to mint like it's going it's going from extremely complicated to I think it's going to become overly simplified to a point where we're going to go the, such an extreme to simplify things because they are at the, at the core pretty complicated right where what do you think of the idea of that happening for legal resources because that is the one thing that has never been approachable right when I first started working legal i mean you know i got fucked i can't tell you how many times in the beginning because i couldn't afford an attorney or i didn't know who to go to or i didn't know who to trust that is a recurring issue 
Do you think there's a world where Web3 resources or legal resources in Web3 become more accessible to people? Yes. And if, if not in the immediate future, it should be. Um, I think you nailed it. Um, the theme of what we all tout in this Web3 space is community and accessibility and, and trust. Well, you just said it. Traditionally, legal resources have been accessible to those who could afford it. It has been inaccessible to the majority and beyond just the financial. For pro bono work or for contingency cases, you get what you're going to get in a lot of in a lot of areas, right? You always want the best of the best, whatever that means for, for you as a person or as a company. But if you are strapped a little bit in terms of, well, I can't really afford this or I don't know as much, you're asking to place your trust in somebody that recognizes that kind of gap of, okay, we're able to work with you on this or you know, we'll, we'll make it work. But you also have to ask yourself, what, what are they able, they being the legal, are they able to provide you in, in that same equal capacity as somebody who could afford them day in, day out. So yes, I think accessibility is, is a major issue. And I think with this space and technology, legal resources should be made more accessible, uh, available to, to people. Yeah, 100%. And I hope that people realize that smart contracts are not going to replace Never. attorneys because that's something that I've heard before. You know, attorneys are like narrators, right? They need, someone needs to be controlling the overall story of what's happening and, and making sure everything is is done correctly and smart contracts will automate certain aspects for sure but i mean you know with what we're doing there's not a single thing that we do without talking to our attorneys like it's it's unbelievable they're they're almost like partners right in every single thing you do. i agree you know i think from the beginning smart contracts it, its name itself has been extremely deceptive and misleading because a smart contract as you know it's just code it's not a, it's nothing legal. It is just programmed code. But within that code, it is the terms of what that underlying contract is. Well, how do you get those underlying terms? How do you get that code to execute? You have to have terms. Well, how do you get those terms? You still have to draft them, craft them, and make sure that even the way that they're crafted, they are doing what you want them to do. So, you need to have that physical paper contract with an attorney that says, here's what I want to see happen before it's taken, converted into code, and the smart contract governs from there. Smart contracts will never replace uh, real-life attorneys. They need each other. And if you try to exclude that, you're going to see issues happen where artists are left out to dry parties to a transaction are left out to dry and they're all blaming the other when they should all be blaming themselves collectively for not having done what they should have done thank you again so much man obviously grateful for your friendship and for your time for this thank you so much this has been a really amazing conversation um is there anything else you want to i add just want to say thank you for everything you've done uh in, in your capacity and, and with probably nothing you guys are doing such incredible things for the space and putting vibrant ideas out there and letting everyone come up with their own thoughts. And it's refreshing. So thank you for, for everything. Thank you, but I appreciate you very much. Thank you.